Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, the Jewish religious officials have accused Paul, who is now stating his case before Governor Felix. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Once again, that's Acts chapter 24, verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Those are some good things to be guilty of. (laughs) First off, he says, I am guilty of some things here. I I don't believe the same thing that they do. I am a Christian. He says, I do, after the way which they call heresy, so I worship the God of my fathers. Why? Because I believe all things which are written in the law and the prophets. That's a good thing. Paul says, they say I'm off base because I believe the entire Bible. That's interesting. Because today, this is the charge levied against those who reject the exclusive claims of Jesus and the Bible's definition of right and wrong, isn't it? You believe the whole Bible? That's nonsense. No one believes in that anymore. No one believes in a fairytale God who made all the earth in seven days, six days, and rested on the seventh. Nobody believes in all those rules, and nobody believes in those things of right and wrong. Don't you understand? But here's the truth, guys. Where else do we find anything else about redemption if not the word of God? Where do we find out anything about Jesus if not from the word of God? It's either inspired or it isn't. It's that simple. It's either we believe it or we trash it. Either we believe it all or we trash it all. Because there's no sin if there's no standard. And there's no salvation if there's no sin. And there's no savior without a substitutionary death. You cannot just grab bits and pieces. Paul said, if all of it isn't true, if the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, if it's not true, then let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Indeed, if all of this isn't true and this is what we believe, then we of all men are most miserable. We are. Because we should just live as if tomorrow's our last day and there's nothing else coming. See, the truth is there is something else coming. There is a resurrection of the dead, as Paul says here. There is a day when all mankind will stand before God Almighty. And either you stand in Christ or outside of Christ. Either you're righteous or you're not righteous. You stand clean or unclean. There's no kind of halfway. There's no kind of, well, God, you know, I tried to be good and I did my very best. And God goes, well, I guess you did your very best, so we'll let you in. The Lord says, I have a standard. Mankind broke that standard. There was an article in, I don't remember what, sports magazine. But Arian Foster, a very famous running back in the NFL, he's made the Pro Bowl quite a few times. And he's a very open atheist and he speaks about it quite frequently. And you know, they're praising him about coming out and praising him for all these things. But in the article, he was talking about how he grew up on the south side of Chicago. And he said, how is it that if you buy a house on this side, you know, everything's great and you buy a house on this side, how can there be a God in the midst of that? You ever had kids? I've got kids. And I can treat them all the same way. I can be gracious and tender and loving and good. And I have one child that asks all the time for stuff and you'll get it for them and they never say thank you. And so we have to constantly talk to them about that. Hey, you're being ungrateful. And then you have others that that aren't like that. They have other struggles. My point is they all grew up in the same household. And some of them learn lessons earlier than others. Some of them do better than others. 
Now, I know as a parent, a fallen parent, there's times I beat myself up all the time and I say, if you weren't such a bad dad, maybe it wouldn't be this way. But the truth of the matter is, they make their own choices. That's the dumbest argument ever. You're insulting my intelligence when you say something like that. How can there be a God? Because in the north side and the south side, things are so different. It's simple. We live in a rotten, dirty, stinking world that we created for ourselves. We sinned. Do you think God's up there going, yep, I'm all happy with that. That's just how it is. That's how you got to deal with it. I wish I could do something to stop it, but I can't. He says, I created a perfect place. I gave them everything. And they chose the one thing, the one thing I said don't do that would be the opportunity for choice. You want to believe in a God that isn't loving? You should have put trees all over the garden like that. One, one tree. And everything else was for blessing. A God who is merciful, a God who is gracious, who gave only one opportunity for failure, one opportunity for sin. And we took it anyway. How is he to blame for that? How is that his fault? You say, well, yeah, I understand that. Well, I get that that, that, that that was our fault, but why didn't God fix it? Why doesn't he fix it? Why doesn't he do something to stop it? It's really simple. It's really simple. Because then he would have to stop you. You see, God did that once, didn't he? When the world got so bad, right? And what did he do? He wiped everybody out. Wiped everybody out. See, there's a false premise here. And this is the false premise. And this you need to understand. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever here today, you need to understand this, okay? Every man declares his own righteousness. I'm sure there were men pounding on that boat when the rain started to come. No, 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 I deserve to be in there. I'm part of the righteous. I'm, I'm better. I'm a good person. But the reality is, is that I'm not. I'm not. Who do you think of most of the time? Who do you look for when you see a picture and you know you're in it? I have to teach my children not to be self-centered. I remember when I graduated from college, we got married, and then it was about a year later, we had a child. This amazing, precious thing that all it cared about was itself. It didn't care about my sleep. It didn't care about my wife's sleep. It didn't care about how hard a day we'd had. It didn't care if we had a good day or a bad day. It wanted food. It wanted to be held. It didn't care about anything but itself. And you know what I realized on that day? How selfish I was. That yeah, I was a child and I didn't know better at that time. But then I grew up and I did know better. The audacity of some of the things I said to my parents. The audacity of some of the things that I would say to other adults who would try to give me advice or give me counsel. The pride that was here, the selfishness that was here. The hurt that I caused to other people by my comments and by my actions. I remember my dad had told me, he said, someday when you have kids, he said, you'll understand and you'll call me. And I did. And I said, I was sorry. I'm sorry for being selfish and self-absorbed and only thinking about me. See, God doesn't fix it because it means he has to get rid of you to do it. And God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And so he leaves us with choice. That somehow there would be some that would open their eyes. There wouldn't be another flood. Someday there will be. It won't be a flood because he promised he wouldn't do it that way. 
But someday, the Bible says that God's going to turn us over to ourselves. He's going to say, I'm going to let you have it and do it like you want it. And it'll be the worst seven years this world has ever seen. Where the Lord said that he has to come back because we would wipe ourselves out. That's us at our best. And we're getting there. The world I grew up in was way less violent than the one I'm living in now. And apparently evolution is supposed to take us to greater places. What do you believe? Do you believe it all? Or just some of it? There are essentials. That, I, was, I was looking at it, so this is months ago, I was looking at something on, on uh, Facebook and, and, and someone brought up the question about what do you have to believe to be a Christian? And I was fascinated. No one said anything. No one got on there and said, well, you know, you need, you need to, you know, these are the essentials. The Bible's clear. Turn to Ephesians 4. There are essentials. There are things you must believe to be a Christian. Ephesians 4. It's right here in verses 4 through 6. This is where we find unity with one another. If we disagree on something that's outside of this realm, it's okay. We can disagree. You can still be saved, okay? We can look down at, you know, our Methodist brothers and sisters, you know, down the street, and, and they're kind of really into losing your salvation and getting born again again, and we could say, we don't see it that way, but that's okay. You know, you guys believe this, so we just disagree on that. And you got the others who believe, you know, you know the idea is you just kind of make, say something with, with your mouth, and then you can do whatever you want afterwards. We say, well, we disagree with that, but, you know, if you believe this, you're okay. Or they believe in the gifts, and they're kind of crazy over there, or they don't, and they're kind of, you know, real laid back over there. That's cool. As long as we agree upon this, we're okay. There is one body, one church, one church. We're all just a part. We're one part of the whole church. If you're a believer, you're part of one body. There's not all these different bodies out there. There's one spirit. That's one of the members of the Trinity. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, we have one hope and it's Christ. We have one hope one salvation. There's only one way to heaven. You have to agree upon that. There's one Lord, Jesus. You have to believe the same thing about Jesus. Jesus is God. If you don't believe that, you can't be saved. I'm trying to make this clear here because these are areas now that are muddy. That whole thread on Facebook started because some people were saying that Mormons are Christians. Listen, you cannot not believe in the Trinity, cannot not believe that Jesus is God and be a Christian. Okay? Those are essentials. There must be one Lord, Jesus. Who he is, what he did, you must believe those things. One faith. Now, that is actually one the faith, which means one body of doctrine. You have to believe that this is the word of God. If you don't believe this is our body of doctrine, then, then what's the basis of faith? One baptism. The word there refers to the baptism in the body of Christ. And when we get saved, the Lord translates us from our lost condition to our saved condition. We are now part of the family of God. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You must believe these things. You must believe in the Trinity. You must believe in each member that they are God. You must believe in, in one body of truth. You must believe in one body. You must believe in the way of salvation. If you don't believe that, then you are not saved. And I don't say that to condemn. I say that to, to reach out. You need to believe. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's what God doesn't want. But we'll have life everlasting. This is what we must believe. Do you believe this?
Well, Paul goes on and he says, not only do I believe all the word of God, but I try to live my life in such a way that's blameless. And the word there, exercise, means to do my best. Herein do I exercise myself. I, I try my best, he says, to always have a conscience that's void of offense, blameless toward God and toward men. And that's a great way to live. And this is why grace can never be a license to sin. Do we fail in our efforts to live blamelessly? Of course. But our goal is to walk in obedience to God by the power of his spirit and by the power of his grace, right? To walk with him. Hmm. Is that your desire? Say, Lord, here's my life. Take it all. I just want to live for you. We have a great promise that when we fail, that there's forgiveness. We talked about that last week. But our desire, what do you say? My little children, I write these things unto you that you what? That you sin not. That's his desire. But and if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous. So since Paul has denied their charges, Felix has to be wondering what Paul was doing in Jerusalem. Why are you here? And so Paul answers that in verse 17. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude or tumult, who ought to have been here before you and object if they had anything against me. If I really did something wrong, they're the ones that should be here because they're the ones that started this. Or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. And then Paul admits one wrongdoing except this. Except it be for this, this one voice, this one thing I said, that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And I think that's Paul's apology. I tried to manipulate the audience, the crowd, and I created a riot, and that was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. Paul admits he stirred up trouble with this divisive comment. Um, What humility. You know, don't ever be afraid to admit failure or wrongdoing on your part, even against someone who's opposed to you. Because that kind of transparency, humility, and honesty has a huge impact on those that see it. They know you're real. You're not holier than thou. Well, verse 22, Felix, when he had heard these things, having more perfect knowledge, he had an accurate understanding of that way. He knew about Christianity. He deferred them. He adjourned the hearing. And he said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. I will will decide on the case. And so he commanded a centurion to keep Paul, but to let him have a measure of liberty, is what that means there, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So he was under house arrest, basically. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Drusilla was one of the three daughters of Herod Agrippa I, the one who killed John the Baptist. That meant she was part Jewish. And so Felix, interestingly, had induced her to leave her former husband, the king of Amasa, to marry him. It's possible she was the one who wanted this meeting, but Paul takes full advantage of the opportunity. It says, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And he answered, go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. And so Paul gives this sermon centered on three things it says here. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment. He spoke of righteousness. Both what is right and being right with God. Something these two people did not have. He spoke of temperance, self-control. Something they were not doing. She was his third wife. And then coming judgment is what they were headed for. These, interestingly, are the three things the Holy Spirit would do when he came. John 16, verses 8 through 11. 
Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he will speak of. This is what he will do, the work of his heart and the life of someone who doesn't believe. John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. See, the Holy Spirit comes to show us that God has a standard. Jesus is that standard. And that if we fall short of that standard, and that judgment is coming, if we do not receive Christ, that is our destiny, the same one that Satan has. And that's where our evangelism starts. Otherwise, the gospel makes no sense. If you just walk up to someone in the street and say, hey, Jesus loves you, man. He wants you to go to heaven. You should accept him. And they, you know, some of them might, if they know they're already lost, they might go, okay, great. But many of them will go, why do I need that? I'm a good person. You should go find some, some murderer to go tell that to. I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a good person. I, I work hard in school and I'm a good kid. And you know, I, I'm a good parent. I'm a hard worker. I, I don't mess with anybody. I'm a good citizen. If I don't understand this, I don't know what I need to be saved from. And when praying for an unbelieving friend or family member or coworker or neighbor or someone you meet, this is the way we need to pray. Lord, help them to understand that there is a standard that they fall short and that judgment is coming. That God would open their eyes so that this could sink in. Because then the cross makes sense. Why would God send a son to die for you? Because someone had to pay the price. And God didn't want you to perish. When Felix heard this, it says he trembled. The word there means to be extremely frightened. He understood clearly that this was what he was facing. But rather than turn from his sin and to the cross for mercy and forgiveness, he sends Paul away. Why? Well, there was something else that was vying for his heart. Verse 26. He hoped also that money should be given him, a bribe from Paul, that he might loosen. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. He was hoping that from that big offering that Paul brought, he would give him some money and that he would bribe him. And so for two years, it says, after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's position and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul in prison. He craved this money and he didn't want to let go of it. And so for two years, trying to get money overcame his fear of judgment. And so Paul, for two years, is unjustly kept under house arrest because of a wicked man waiting for a bribe who didn't want to upset the local leaders. Rather than deal with it, when he was recalled by Nero two years later, he left Paul as Festus' problem. And we don't know what happened to Felix or his wife, Drusilla. There are no records of them in history after Nero's recall. I hope he eventually repented and gave his life to Christ, even though there's no evidence of it here. I often been asked, do I have to stop doing fill in the blank to go to heaven? And my answer is usually, if you're willing to go to hell for it, yes. Yes. He was unwilling to give up this money to respond to the message that had touched his heart. Do you know what Jesus' first message was about, his first sermon? It was really simple. I memorized it. Repent. Repent. Turn. Change your mind. The same message of John the Baptist. See, to turn towards God, you have to turn your back on something else. You say, what are you saying? I got to leave all my sin and then Jesus will accept me? No, I'm obviously not saying that. Jesus isn't asking you or me to clean up our lives first, but we must change our mindset on sin. 
If you and I think sin is okay or it's no big deal, then Jesus simply becomes the butler in the sky for us. You say, what about grace? Titus 2 tells us this about grace. Titus 2, 11 through 15 says this. For the grace of God that it brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And then he tells Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you. When we talk about repentance, and I don't talk about it because I want to, I had a bad week and Will, I heard Will was sick this week. I guess that's why he's all angry this week. No, I'm not speaking about repentance because I had a bad week or whatever. I'm speaking about it because Paul commands us to. Listen, in a world that increasingly thinks we've lost our mind and that we are what's holding its back, the only thing that's going to make an impact is not going to be our words spoken. It's going to be seeing a changed life. It's going to see Jesus in us. And to do that, we cannot trump that up. I can't just go, okay, I'm gonna be the Jesus Christian today. I need to be filled with God's spirit. I need to be really changed from the inside. We sang that song today, from the inside out, my heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside so that on the outside, people can see that we've been with Jesus. That's what we need. And the only way that happens is not you, but me, repentance in here. And so I want to encourage you that God's timing is perfect. God didn't mention anything to Paul about a two-year imprisonment, but God's timing is different than ours. And what is magnificent about Paul is that he trusted God's timing, even though the promise of Rome seemed impossible at the moment. And Paul isn't alone in that trust. I mean, look at Joseph, right? You know, how often were those dreams that he had threatened when he was sold by his brothers and then arrested by, you know, Potiphar's wife and all the things that happened to him? At any moment, he could just said, you know what? I guess I'm on the south side of the city now. I guess it's just, you know, you don't love me and that's how it's working now. But Joseph kept walking with the Lord. Moses, the same thing. David, the same thing. The Bible is full of examples where God's promise and its fulfillment were separated by many years of trials but we're called to trust the Lord. You know, when Paul finally got to Rome and he got to preach to Caesar near himself, do you think that he lamented those four years of being imprisoned? I don't think so. And as Christians, we cannot throw in the towel because it just doesn't look like things are going real well for us. It's very easy today to be afraid. I understand, I get it. But David lived a rough life and he said this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this, I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. This is our goal that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock, upon a solid place. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Amen. Lord, we choose today to keep on singing to you. Lord, to rise because you are risen. To stand, Lord, because nothing impacts you. Nothing knocks you off the throne. We have been washed. We've been forgiven. We've been freed. Now, Lord, send us out as lights for you. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Bye,